Let me add my word of welcome to you if you're a first-time guest or here visiting with family from out of town. We're so grateful that you would take time out of your day to be here. One of the most valuable resources you have is time. And once you spend 60 or 90 minutes in one place, you can't spend it somewhere else. The staff's very mindful of that. Uh, We thank you. Uh, You bless us by being here. If there's a way we can bless you, don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, We certainly want to do that. Uh, We're going to continue worshiping by reading God's word, and I'm going to read from Psalm 24. I'm going to read one verse from Psalm 24, and if you have a copy of God's word, I'm going to invite you to turn there with me. Now, we have hardback copies of the Bible in the back of the room, and I I enjoy reading from those so I'm not distracted by something, uh, an alert or a reminder that might pop up on my phone. So however you want to track with us, we want to encourage you to do this so you'll see that what I'm sharing is not just my opinion or my thoughts, but it's God's authoritative word. Um, And as you're turning there, let me share with you. Um, about eight years ago, eight years ago, there were about 80 adults and about 15 children that gathered on Sunday nights at our Brentwood campus, which is nine miles south of here. We are a regional campus plant from Brentwood Baptist Church. We did not exist in this location eight years ago, but a group of people who felt a heart for the urban core and were excited about what God was doing in the city of Nashville uh, felt he was raising us up to plant a gospel outpost in our city. Now, we didn't know exactly where that was, but one of the things we did on Sunday mornings is I encouraged everybody, that was our little launch team, and I encouraged everybody to go visit a church in Nashville on Sunday morning because I believe God uses all kind of churches to reach all kind of people. And so we want to be in partnership and encourage people that are advancing the gospel of Jesus. So I said, go go visit a church somewhere in Nashville, and on Sunday night we would meet together. Now we knew that the church is the people, and we've talked about that. This is a sermon series called Unseen Essentials, where we talk about, like, we, we got to really know. I mean, things we don't always talk about every Sunday or you don't see in a statement or a, or a little vision um, plaque on the wall. Like, we talked about how important it was two weeks ago that the church is the people. It's the body. It's about relationships. But we had come to a point where we said, Lord, we really want to kind of know the brick-and-mortar location where you're going to plant us. Are we going to rent a lunchroom or a theater somewhere? Are we going to use a storefront? Like, would you allow us to have our own building? Uh, And so we began praying on Sunday nights, and we would park at the bookstore, the Christian bookstore, right next to Edley's on 12th, because the Christian bookstore was closed on Sunday, so we'd all park there, and then we would scatter and pray in teams of two and three. And one of the texts we used was Matthew chapter 10, and in Matthew chapter 10, it says that we should, when you get where you're going, look for persons of peace, look for where God has already been at work, and you need to know something. Part of what God's doing in your life, he's gone ahead of you to prepare people and relationships and resources for the kingdom ministry that you're going to do. So one night we're praying and Amy and I were seated on the steps of Waverly Belmont School, if you know where that is on 10th Avenue. Uh, We were seated there and one of the prayers I had prayed is, Lord, we know the the church is the people, but it sure would be great to know where we're going to be brick and mortar wise. And about 15 minutes later, my phone buzzed and somebody said, hey, a a real estate representative just put a four lease sign in front of this property. So just put it outside. And so you ought to get over here. So we came over here and we stood right outside these doors and I thought, what a great spot. And we know the Nashville market is hot real estate-wise. And it was then, as it has become increasingly so, thinking, like, who, who would lease to a church? And would they? Think about the revenue they could have if they built a store or a shop. And one of the things we became aware of is that the owner of this building where you're seated is the son of a pastor. He's the son of a pastor who, when we approached, said, I had not really thought about partnering with a church, but it makes total sense to me. And he said, how cool would it be if God blessed me with this so I can be a blessing to you and that together we can be a blessing to the community. Now listen, if you don't think God's word is authoritative and he does what he says he will do, he was, this ain't about me or the launch team, God was already at work ahead of us. 
Now, one of the wonderful things is this has been a great space. It has been wonderful. And it's cool. This used to be a, a recording industry kind of uh, huge um, recording industry label that used to meet here, the Acuff Rose building, that there's a lot of history here, and for the sake of time, I will forego that. And it's cool aesthetically. The walls, the ceiling looks a little bit like the Cannery Ballroom. I mean, like, it's a neat place to be. But you know, right before COVID, like, the, the preschool and children room was busting at the seams. Like, I would watch parents want to drop their kids off and be like, whoa, it's kind of bonkers in here. Do I drop them off? Do I not? Like, where do we grow? How do we, how do we handle this? And as we've reached adults, there have been adults and people saying, I want Bible study on Sunday morning. I want to lean in. And we can't figure out the child care piece throughout the week. So if you offer something on Sunday, we're interested in that. For six and a half years, we've had one adult classroom in this whole place on Sunday morning. So some of the needs were starting to press in on us, keep me awake at night. And I asked in January of 2020, would you start praying? Would you start praying about where God's going to lead us? Then, of course, the quarantine happened, right? Then, then COVID outbreak, Right. And we all kind of went, went to, to do our own thing and just kind of separated, so it bought us a little bit of time. But as people are starting to come back in, and praise God, there's a sense of normalcy. The room's filling up again at both hours. Those classrooms are filling up again. That good, challenging problem, if you want a problem as a church, it's growth. You want a growth problem. So here we are again, and I want to tell you something. One of the things that gets me excited is dreaming and praying about where we will be in the future. As beautiful and awesome and neat as this building is, it cannot contain what we believe God has called us to do in the future. And we've got shortly under two years to be left in this place, so we're not in a rush. But I have been actively looking along with our leadership, dusting for God's fingerprints in the community where he will lead us, right? And I want you to know we're the, we're, we're the only one of eight regional campuses that does not own our facility. We do not own our facility. We lease our facility. And we're so grateful for God's provision, but there are many, many, many financial resources that go into funding our being able to have this gospel outpost in our city. Now, as I pray and get ready for the future, listen, I don't know if you know this, but an acre of dirt right around the corner from us goes for $5 million. Somebody approached me and said, Pastor, got to, uh, I think this would be a great spot. It's $6.1 million for an acre. That's a great steal, right? Now, I don't know real estate, but I have stayed at a Holiday Inn Express, and I know enough to know, wow, that'd have to be a God story, Right? So we are praying, and listen, you are a generous congregation. We have a consistent pattern of generosity and time, talents, and treasures. But one of the things that may happen is when we get to that point where the Lord opens up that door, we want to be ready to walk through it. And that may require some sort of campaign. That may require some sort of, hey, we need to step up our giving towards this. And I think about the classroom space. And wouldn't it be great, parents, to have a playground for the kids to stretch their legs on Sunday morning and classroom space to open up and hold all of the young adult and college and professional Bible studies that are starting to grow and, and, and bubble up in our, in our church? Wouldn't that be great? And, and here's, here's what kind of keeps me up at night. I do not want to walk into that and pray and ask the Lord to provide for us a building and the resources to do it if we're not right now honoring him with the resources he's already entrusted us. Now, now you need to hear my voice and my tone. This isn't a like, we need to do better conversation. It's not. I look at this a beautiful, talented, creative congregation. This isn't a we need to do better. This is like, hey, we have got maybe a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to put ourselves in position to be faithful and to be good stewards with our resources so when that time comes, the Lord can expand our influence with the gospel in Nashville and we can come alongside of him and be fully ready for that. And that's one of the things that led me to this text and led us to this series. So I want you to see exactly what God has to say about his resources and about how we leverage them today, but also for the years ahead. Stand with me in honor of God's word and I want to read Psalm 24 verse 1 with you. 
Psalm 24, verse 1 says this, and I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. You may have a different translation. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. We're just going to start with that one verse today, okay? I think that will hold us right where we need to be for the morning. Let's pray before we dig in. God, I thank you for the men and women who are here in this room. And for those that are joining us online, we thank you for what you're stirring up and doing in our congregation. I pray, Lord, that this morning, um, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the reality. And I, I would ask us as a congregation, is there something you want to teach us this morning about your resources that we use and hold on to in this life? so that we can be faithful to put ourselves in a position to join you in your kingdom work. And Lord, we acknowledge, we read Psalm 24:1, the earth and everything in it belongs to you. We worship you, we celebrate that truth. Give us, by the power of your spirit, the ability, the courage, the faithfulness to live as if we believe what we just read. And our prayer is that it would be like incense and an offering coming up to you that is a pleasing aroma as you look at our church, that you want to entrust greater influence in the future to us with the gospel of Jesus because we've put ourselves in a position to walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, it's pretty clear what God is declaring here through the psalmist, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You know, Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the narrative of Scripture starts off with God being revealed as the creator. He's an artist. He creates, he makes, he brings everything out of nothing. And God created all things, and as creator, he has right. If you create something, like one of the artists in our congregation painted and created those paintings that were part of our Amos series. Those are her works of art. She has full ownership, and we simply said, would you entrust those pieces of art to put on display God's creativity through that sermon series? Would you allow us to enjoy those while, while they're here? An artist has ownership over what they've created. And one of the things that I want you to know, and we've literally said that this sermon series is not so much about problems. It's not about a crisis. Like, we're in a healthy place, I believe, as a church. Our staff believes that. Lay leadership believes that. But one of the things we want to do is we want to say, like, everything we've looked at in this series, we either believe what Scripture says, and we're going to live as if it's true, or we're not. God's revealed as creator. He owns all things. And Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Now listen, as much as God owns everything, he's incredibly generous with his resources. God owns everything. He doesn't owe us anything, but he's incredibly generous with his resources. Our brother James in the New Testament, and those of you who are, I see some of you writing, you can use the back of that little survey card as notes for this. I think this would be helpful for us as we think about our, our resources that God's entrusted to us. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift is from above, which comes down from the Father. God owns everything, and he gives or entrusts these things to whomever he chooses for his purposes. And one of the things I'm mindful of, the first example of this is in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, God blessed Adam and Eve. He blessed humans and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. In other words, that idea of subdue or rule means that humans have been entrusted with some amount of control, some amount of oversight, some amount of care over all things that have been 
created. Now, think about that. Like, Adam and Eve can appreciate, they can nurture. You could literally tell an animal or that resource of the Lord what to do and where to go, ideally. We have some sort of control that's been entrusted to us. And the idea or the concept here is being a steward. It's being a steward. And this is a word that we don't use a lot in church, but for us, at this point, seven years in, to the existence of our church family, we're growing some faith muscles. God's really stretching our faith and giving us a vision for what's ahead for us. Understanding what it means to be a steward is going to be really critical for us in the months ahead. A steward is somebody who's employed to manage but not own anything. A steward manages a household, an estate, a business. Um, A steward manages this thing. You steward this thing, but you do not own this thing. So the concept that God shows us all throughout Scripture, Genesis, all the way to the end of the Bible and Revelation, is an idea of stewardship, managing properly all that God has entrusted to you during your brief life on this earth. Now that may feel a little bit offensive, like brief life, that's a downer right there. Our brother James says our life is like a mist or a vapor when you think about how long the earth has existed and how many millennia. In the life that we have here, you and I have been entrusted with resources that we get to leverage to advance God's kingdom, but we don't own those things. The money in our bank accounts, the cars in our driveway, the furniture in our townhomes or our dorm room. Like, I'm not saying, please hear me, I'm not saying you didn't work hard to advance your career. I'm not saying you you don't work hard when you stay up late studying to prepare for for your undergraduate degree or graduate school. I'm not minimizing that by saying, look, when you step back, A healthy place for us to be as a church is to acknowledge everything we have comes from God. We own none of it. That's a really healthy place for us to be. And what does God expect of us as stewards? Like, okay, okay, if we're going to steward it well, I mean, don't you want to know that? Like, when you're ready for an exam or a test, like, how are you going to evaluate me on this? And by the way, because God created everything, he entrusts it to us, he has a right to determine how we utilize his resources, The best example of this is in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus told a parable. Jesus told a parable about the talents. And one of the things a a man who owned property did is he was about to go on a long journey. And he called three servants up. And he said, you're stewards of this property. And he gave one guy five talents. And he gave another guy two talents. And another one one talent. And when the the master went away, the, the guy with five talents invested it and multiplied it and turned it into five more. The guy with two talents, he, he, he multiplied it into two more. Like, do you see what's happening there? Like, the, the master entrusts something to the steward, and, and Jesus told a story that the steward really wanted to maximize the owner's investment. And the third and final guy buried his talent in the dirt. He went and buried it. He was like, I was so afraid to get stolen or lost. I didn't want to mess this up, so I buried it in the dirt. And, and the, in the parable that Jesus tells, the, the owner rebuked the one who buried it. And for the other two that maximized and said, we, we hold it loosely. Think of it this way. I'm going to use my wallet right here, okay? Think of it this way. This is a debit card. I, I, don't, I don't own this. This is ownership. Somebody said, like, I, this is mine, all right? Like, think of it this way. Hold your hand, just hold your hand open right where you are loosely. Like, what if the Lord says, I mean, all this came from me. You, you signed up for the Wells Fargo account, but that's, that's my money in your bank account. But here you go. I'm entrusting it to you. What I have found in my life is the, the more I do like this number right here, and, and by the way, we think like the more resources we'll get, the more, you can put your hand down. Some of y'all are like, man, my hand's going numb over here, okay? <laughs> um, you think the more resources you have, the more generous you'll be. Human nature, your flesh, apart from Christ, and even when you come to Christ, the apostle Paul said, you always wage with your flesh. The flesh only knows one word, and it's more. 
You think the more you'll get. God, if you answered this prayer, what if God answered your prayer and it destroyed you? Maybe in his faithfulness, he doesn't answer our prayers. But he tells the, the stewards, maximize this. You don't own this. And so they hold it loosely and, as if it's not their own, but they maximize it. And, and guess what Jesus said that the master said to him? He came back and said, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And any of us, when we meet Jesus, I cannot wait for that day. Like when you meet Jesus, you won't have to have faith anymore because you'll see him. You can touch him. You won't need faith in heaven. And when you see him, don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, right? And, and even if you're like, I'm not fired up about it, but of course I do. Like at the end of the day, if you sit alone with your thoughts, that, that's, that's what we ought to want to hear. So what does God expect of us as stewards? It's faithfulness. It's simply faithfulness that he can depend on us with his resources. So here's what I'm going to do. I want you to, I want you to start praying this prayer consistently in your life. And I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer once a day for the next six days until we come back together. Because we're here for about 60 or 90 minutes on a Sunday morning, but the other 167 hours of our week is where we're going to practice or learn this, right? Most, mostly, right? I want you to pray this. God, you own everything. I own nothing. Okay, I'm not trying to be crass or rude. Like I said, you've worked hard for a lot of things. But like, let's just, let's just get down to brass tacks. God, you own everything. I own nothing. Empower me with your spirit to be a faithful steward of your resources. What, what if we prayed that? What if last week there was over 425 some odd people that were here? What if everybody that's here and everybody watching online said, God, you own nothing. I own everything. I'm going to ask you to empower me by your Holy Spirit to, to be a good and faithful servant with this. Could, listen, do you imagine that's a prayer that God wants to answer? Do you imagine that? And, and let me give you an illustration of that. Let me give you an illustration of that. One of the things I want to talk about real quickly is that a lot of times we'll stand up here, even during the offertory moment, and talk about our time, our talents, and our treasures. Because we have found that like resources is such a big word, right? So like to talk about our time, our talents, and our treasure like helps me put it in buckets. I've got time, I've got talents or abilities, and treasures would be financial treasures, right? Well, here's what I want you to know. Like, we want to be good stewards, like whole life stewardship, every part of our life, our marriages, our dating relationships, our relationship with our children or with our parents, our careers. We want to be good stewards of every resource God's given us. But did you know that God talks more about money? Jesus talks more about money than he does about our time or our talents. Eleven of the 39 parables, 11 of the 39 parables, Jesus taught about our earthly treasures or our finances. In 1973, a successful businessman named Howard Dayton created a topical index. He was like, really, how much does God talk about money? He had heard people say that, right? And you may say, like, does God really talk that much about money? And by the way, um, if, if the spirit, or, or rather the enemy, is like messing with your mind a little bit, like, why do churches talk about money? You may have come from a church that obsessed over it or made you feel guilty or obligated to give, and so you don't like that. I went back and looked. Um, I, I've preached about 48 of 52 sermons the seven years we've been here. Uh, there have been other communicators who've preached, but 364 messages, and I cannot find one that was specifically on financial giving. And the reason I tell you that is we talk about it every Sunday because my, my heart as a pastor is to keep it in front of us when, when, when there's a need, but also just for faithfulness when there's not a crisis and it doesn't feel weighty and overwhelming, right? To just faithfully and consistently do that. So the enemy may be like messing with your head like, why do churches talk about that? And even when you came in, if you saw the survey in the chair, which by the way is just so we can say, how can we help you? How can we help you wrap your mind around the resources God's given you? Listen, Jesus talks about it a lot. I don't think we obsess over it. I don't think we talk about it too much. Matter of fact, like we, we need a healthy understanding of, of financial stewardship. 
This guy, Howard Dayton, did a study, like where every time money or earthly treasures are mentioned in the Bible, like he made an index of it. And he found out that there's 500 verses in the Bible about prayer and faith. 500 verses that refer to prayer or faith. He found 2,350 scriptures that talk about money. Okay, so 500 about prayer and faith, 2,300 plus that talk about money or financial treasures. So even if you're like, you know, I mean, like it probably talks about it a little, it talks about it a ton. And what if he's off? What if he miscounted or he padded his stats, right? Most scholars believe that over 2,000 times scripture talks about it. Now, one of the reasons that I believe scripture talks about money is because money often reveals what you care about most. Money often reveals the condition of our heart in relationship to God as well. I want you to think about this. If you look at your giving statements, some of us, we don't have a good handle on our giving because we don't look at our giving statements in terms of like how we spend our money in our debit accounts, right? Think about what you've spent your money on recently, all right? So this is one of those, like, just take a quick inventory. What have you spent your money on? Like, does it, does it show you what you value, what you care about? Y- yeah, it does, right? And that's not like a, what are you valuing? It's like a, yeah, it does. That's just pretty basic, straightforward, right? Well, Scripture talks so much about this because I believe it reveals the condition of our heart and our relationship with God. But I want you to think about this as well. One way, this is, this is incredible, one way that Scripture describes what God's done for us in Christ, you think about this. One specific way in the New Testament the scripture talks about what God's done for us is in financial or monetary terms. Scripture says that God gave us his son. Jesus paid a price that you and I could not pay for our sins and our transgressions. And you were then bought with a price on the cross at Calvary. Even the words that sometimes describe what God's done for us on the cross are that you and I are sinners that deserve death and punishment and the wrath of God. But God in his goodness paid for our sins on the cross. He credited it to our account. This is settled. It's good. I'll pay their debt. Therefore, I've bought you. I've ransomed you. So by the way, if any of us are struggling with what we do with our financial resources and think that Jesus shouldn't tell us that, like I'm going to submit to you that because Jesus has ransomed us and bought us, paid for us with his precious blood, Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus has every right to demand whatever he wants of your life. Because he's ransomed us, he's purchased us, he's redeemed us. And so therefore, just a cursory glance at scripture, I mean, scripture talks a lot about finances, has a lot to say about how we utilize them, and it's a pretty big deal to the Lord. Now listen, when this first started in the Bible, one of the ways it first came up is in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, there was a man named Abraham. You guys ever heard of a guy named Father Abraham? His, his brother-in-law had been kidnapped. It's a crazy story. Like, if you like, listen, some of the stories in the Bible are better than the, like the best fiction you can read today in terms of, like, unbelievable. His, his brother-in-law was kidnapped by these random kings that came and got him and hauled him off with others. And so Abram goes to save him. And Abram goes and saves him. It's a fascinating story in Genesis 14. Abraham saves him and brings him back. And the Bible says that Abraham brought back the resources, all the goods, and also his relative lot and his goods, as well as the women and the other people. And when he's coming back from rescuing and redeeming these things, it says a priest named Melchizedek met him. Now, Melchizedek of the priest represents God's kingdom and his efforts, right? Or what God wants to do through his people. And Melchizedek walked out and met him on his way back while he's got all this loot and all this stuff with him. And Melchizedek says, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, is the one who's given you success. There it is again, like Psalm 24.1. Hey, hey, Abraham, 
awesome, took a tremendous amount of bravery and courage to roll up in there on these other kings and be like, I want my brother-in-law back. Like most people don't want their in-laws back, okay? It's just life, right? Sorry, can I say that? Like sometimes that's the way it is. But, but he rolls up in there and he gets them and comes back. Man, like Melchizedek says, he didn't say you're awesome. He didn't say you're brave. You know what he says? Sometimes we just need to be told the truth, right? And don't dress it up like, hey, he says, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, is the one who's given you success. Your success in this venture is from God. God's allowing you to enjoy and steward these financial resources, these treasures. And do you know what Abraham's response was? He, he dropped down and he worshiped God. He dropped down and he worshiped God, being made aware of God's goodness. Like, oh my gosh, like you're right. God allowed me this victory. God allowed me this. Like, one of the things he did is he dropped down and he began to spontaneously worship God and he gave a tenth of everything he owned back to Melchizedek. He gave a tenth of everything he owned. And that's the, like a portion of, a tenth of, 10% of, like we use the word tithe. And that's where it comes from in the Old Testament that he dropped down and said, I, here I return a tenth of everything that I have, doesn't own, but like I'm a steward, I return a portion of that to you. That's the first time in Scripture where we see a tithe or 10% of financial treasures being brought to the priest or brought to the mission of God. Now, in the New Testament, you go from people needing to go to the temple and see a priest to make their offering. In the New Testament, Jesus tore down the barrier. Like, you can pray to God. You can worship God in your car or in your workplace. You don't have to go to the temple because God left the temple, and he resides inside of his people. And in the New Testament, the church is how God is present in and through us in our community and in our world. And so one of the things we do in the New Testament is there's a lot of scripture in the New Testament about how the local church, big church should be structured, the local church. There's pastors, there's staff that represent kind of what that priest was to Abraham. And so one of the things in the New Testament is people brought in their tithe or their financial treasures to the temple of God in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see that the storehouse of God is brought in through the local church, that God still intends for us to be faithful and to tithe through the local church. One of the most well-known passages about this is in Malachi chapter 3. In Malachi chapter 3, listen, God's people had been blessed. They had come back from captivity. Things are getting back to normal. Does that sound familiar? Like some sense of normalcy after all this craziness, right? Things are good, getting healthy. But unfortunately, they had forgotten who was authoring their favor, who was taking care of them. And so do you know what the Lord did? He has a lot of stern words for his people in Malachi, okay? Those minor prophets, right? They get all up in your business, right? But one of the things God said through his prophet was this. I, I tell you what. Bring the full tenth of your financial treasure. Bring 10%. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Do you know what God does with the financial resources that we give to him through the local church? God advances and funds his kingdom ministry. Now listen, it don't cost any money to share the gospel. It doesn't cost any money to love somebody or listen well. It doesn't cost any money to serve someone with your time and your talents. So don't hear me say you need money for everything in the kingdom. But what I'm telling you is there are some things God wants us to do that require financial resources. This congregation generously gave over and above what was normal, I think, in our world during the pandemic, and you funded a food pantry that was a one or a few times a year kind of thing that has now become a permanent thing because of the needs we became aware of in our community. And you gave so that there was food in God's house. 
It's one of the reasons we give. We, we give, first of all, the example of Abraham, you give financially as an act of worship. You give financially as an act of worship. It ain't about the pastor asking you. You give as an act of worship to say it all comes from you. We also give to say, like, I want to make sure I prioritize like my heart's right with you, right? And the more you let go of those things, the more there's room for the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, right? When you're not holding on to it. But we also do it to say, would you advance your kingdom through this church family? Would you advance this kingdom through ministry partners? Would you do that? It's one of the reasons we do that. And, and listen, it doesn't sound super exciting. Like, it, it sounds enjoyable and exciting to be like, man, we, we literally bought meals for people that didn't know where the next one was coming from. We don't, we don't brag about that, and I'm not saying it so that we're like, look at us. It, that feels good. It's probably not as compelling if I'm like, do you know what the electric bill of this place is? That doesn't sound like, that doesn't sound like super compelling. Yep, yeah, where do I sign up? I'm ready to give, Pastor. Water bill, electric bill, what else? What do we got to pay for here? Utilities. That doesn't. But I, can, I cannot... I cannot tell you how much your giving funds the advancement of this church being here last Wednesday night with, with our young professionals talking about faith and, and, and works in terms of how do we live out our faith in the workplace. That God values pastors and people who sing and people who serve in church, but God values accountants and people in fashion industry and design and, and entrepreneurs and, I mean, doctors and nurses. It goes on and on. Like, we had a warm, dry, and a rainy week building place for everybody to come, meet, and get excited about what God's doing as we, as we leaned into that together. Look, we, we were able to do that because of giving. God says, bring it into the storehouse. Bring it into the storehouse. Now, I want to tell you something. I, I do believe, I believe the tithe is 10%, and the church is the only institution Jesus ever established. So I do believe the whole 10% goes to the church. I do. I've been often asked over the last 20 years, does, does 10% go to the church, or does 5% go to the church, or 5% goes to some organizations? What do we do here? When I read scripture, the institution that Jesus died to establish is the local church. And I do believe the full tithe goes to the local church. Now listen, you need to know, I practice what I'm literally preaching. I think it's unacceptable for me or the staff to, to tell you that from Scripture if we're not living that way. But I'll also tell you this, when you think about things, a lot of nonprofits and great ministries that we partner with and love that are faith-based nonprofits came to be because the church throughout time and history failed to do what the church was supposed to do. So we're not going to stop giving and funding. Like we're, we're going to give to the church, and we're going to give over and above that to the ministries that are so effective at what they do that some people, just like we talked about with apartment life, do you know how many people woke up this morning needing significance and purpose, and they won't come to a church for it? But they'll talk to somebody who listens and cares and loves them. We're going to keep funding those things. But I do believe it's 10%. And I do believe it comes to the church. And Amy and I practice that. We believe that's where our tithe goes. We Anything the Lord prompts and leads us to give over and above that, we do. And one of the things I want to tell you is this. One of the reasons there, there's a struggle with giving is because resources have been corrupted previously. And you've probably seen churches on the news that squandered or bought this vehicle or did that, right? And, 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 it, and it gets like... It shakes the trust of the people. And then, can you believe this? The enemy uses it to, to get people to doubt the goodness of God if, if churches would do that with our resources. Listen, I want you to know something. I don't handle the money. I don't touch the money. I don't know what anybody in this church gives. There's a reason behind that. The staff doesn't count the money. There's a business office that counts and collects. And you, you can have your giving statement. You can reach out to the church office and say, I want my business statement or I want my, my giving statement. I don't see that. I don't touch that. That one of the reasons is for trust. So you can say, I can give and know that, what, that they're going to be accountable. You can ask any question at any time about how the money and the resources are spent by this church. Everything I put on the church credit card, my boss, who's the senior executive pastor, he looks. 
If I go to a lunch for ministry-related, he looks at it. If I buy something for, you know, if he looks, there's a, you know, there's something that says here it's like 300 balloons. Like, that's, I'm sure that's ministry, but like, what's up with that? He can ask me any question anytime. Because your leadership needs to be accountable for how we use God's resources. We're trying to create trust. I hope we have. I believe we have. But I want to say this, and I want you to remember this. Even if you do not feel led to give to this church, if this is your home, then the Lord loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, read it later. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, He who sows generously will reap generously, but he who sows sparingly will receive very little back. It says the Lord doesn't want you to give out of guilt or obligation, but give generously. He loves a cheerful giver. If you do not feel led to give to this church and you're a follower of Jesus purchased by the blood of the Lamb, you give to some local church. You find a church that preaches the gospel, that really, no church is perfect, we're not perfect, but a church that truly says we love God, we love his people, we're going to try to help disciples become disciples who go and introduce others to Jesus and they care about missions and service locally and globally and they care about the whole person, not just spiritual decisions. You find you a church that the Lord leads you to and you give faithfully to the local church. I believe in scripture that much that I would tell you that. And one of the things that, that, that gives me the compulsion to do that is to be like, the standard of giving in the New Testament is not 10%. The standard of giving in the New Testament is not 10%. When Jesus was on the cross, could you imagine what a jam we'd been in if he's like, Father, I don't think they're worth it. I'd give maybe 10% of me for them. This one's worth 30. That one's worth 75. This one over here, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not going to do it. Could you imagine what a jam we'd been if Jesus didn't cover us with his precious blood that he gave 100% of himself? That's where the authority comes from. It's not the pastor. It's not anybody else on staff. It comes from God, his faithfulness. He owns it all. He entrusts it to us. And he says, just be faithful with it. I want to know you're dependable so that you put yourself in a position in the future to do what he's called you to do. Listen, it's not about really like God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need your money. Could you imagine? It's mine anyway. Like, I'll show you where I store the snow in the summer if you want to see that. Like, I got everything, right? Like... He doesn't need anything from us, but he wants it for us. Because when you give, it's the giver who's changed. It's not Jesus who's changed. If you've ever funded this ministry and you've heard Chris and Heather talk about how people that were looking for hope found it in the person of Jesus, you want to, you want I can part with just a few. It changes your perspective. Are you 10% is a lot. It's a big step of faith. Some of you may have so much debt that you're like, I want to give, but I can't. Or you literally say, like, I see people posting pictures of vacations and this and that. And if I start tithing, I, I won't be able to do that. And those are the legitimate things that you just you start to flesh through, right? But if you part with those resources and you watch God reach people in the name of Jesus and their eternities changed, you want more of that. And your perspective, as I heard a dear saint say to me, Aaron, can you believe? Can you believe? That God only asks for 10 and he lets us live on the 90. Well, you don't want to talk about being humbled. You talk about being grateful for what God does. The standard of giving in the New Testament is 100%. Jesus can demand anything he wants, but, but he doesn't. He doesn't guilt or obligate us and like, you better do this, you better do this. Jesus never manipulated people. And I love that about him. And we would not do that to you. 
This is a generous congregation. We have a lot of givers, I believe. I know the aggregate data. Like I said, I don't know what anybody gives, but we're healthy. Things are good. They're growing. But I'm going to tell you for where we're going in the future, now is the time before it becomes a challenge that we're like, oh, my gosh. Now's the time to get ready for what God wants to do in the future. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to challenge you over the next couple minutes. You be thinking, as the Holy Spirit's kind of getting into your business maybe, about your money, your resources, how you spend it, how you don't. Maybe while I'm preaching, you're like, you know what? I have been generously blessed, been generously blessed, and I need to part with some of those to bless others. Maybe he's stirring up in your heart. Maybe you're like, I cannot believe Jesus died for me. I need to give my life to him. I heard a saint one time say, every time they pass those baskets, I feel like I should just go stand in it. Not just offer a small portion, but everything I am belongs to him. I owe him everything. So I want to give you a chance to think about what it is that you, you might need to do in response to, to what we see here in Scripture. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. 